This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes. Until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental and more. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another show for another episode of our TGT podcast series, our weekly show after every single Arsenal League game on a weekend, where I'm joined by some wonderful people to discuss some wonderful fixtures. And my God, did we get a wonderful game yesterday? We're going to talk all about the fantastic, beautiful nature of beating Jose Mourinho and Spurs. How great these two things are now combined and we can enjoy beating them together. Wonderful stuff. I said I was joined by some wonderful people, and I certainly am. I'm joined by, first of all, Raf. Raf, how you doing, mate? Are you well? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no. The worst. I've got all the, all the new graphics, like, fine. And, and Raf's just, Raf has left the building. Hopefully, we can get Raf back in a second. That was so good. Johnny, save me, mate. How are you doing, mate? Are you well? <laughs> I'm not doing too bad now. I love the fact that you gave him that big build up as well. And the facial expression <laughs> it, it stuck on was just one of complete apathy. Like, yeah, yeah. Raf, how are you doing? Yeah. I think he might be back now. I think he's going to come back in in just a second. <laughs> Deary me, that was so close to being great. Uh, Drew, I'm going to get used to flying this, throwing this screen around soon. I need to be a little bit on it like a proper producer now. Uh, but Drew, mate, are you good? Are you well, son? Yeah, I'm good. And I have no bandana today, so... No, no. So you're going to get plenty of comments on your hair. Uh, and I'll be looking out for the other band comparison very, very <laughs> soon. Uh, but no, good to have on the show, mate. And we should now have Raf back in the building. How are you doing, mate? Are you well? Uh, yeah, I'm good. I feel like this is going to be one of them days again. But let's see how it goes. I got, I'm, I'm not well, going to let it go. That's good. Ah, oh, cool. All right. Cool. We'll take it. We'll take it for the minute. We'll but yeah, happy days. Good result. Buzzing. But I'm sure we're going to talk. We are indeed, mate. <laughs> Just, I love how the new internet freezes your screen on the most hilarious of facial expressions. <laughs> Deary me. Um, obviously, it was an amazing day yesterday to get the result uh, against those lot down the road. And, and we're going to get your thoughts and reactions to it. First off, Johnny, just beating them lot in the league, beating Mourinho as well. What were your raw reactions to the win? Um, listen, absolutely delighted, to be fair. Um, I 
was, uh, you know, I'm not going to be alone as an Arsenal fan when you circle this fixture and it is the standout fixture. And in a league campaign, which has been as disappointing as this, um, you look for, you know, shoots of life, uh, reasons to be optimistic moving forward. And I think, you know, Tottenham have their vulnerabilities as well, as has been clearly there to see for, for everyone for quite some time now. They're similar to us in that respect, that they'll always potentially give you a goal, but they rely on, you know, uh, uh, Harry Kane brilliance or whatever to get them out of jams. And ultimately, I thought it was go- always going to be about guts and about, you know, our application to be able to get anything out of that game. And I thought the way we set about it, the tactics, the, the way that... um the players applied themselves was absolutely superb and it made it so much more important uh, a, a victory because of the performance. If we had just stolen a 1-0, that would be, you know, I'll take it, still bite your hand off. But the fact is we deserve to win that game and it was very, very good to watch from uh, Arsenal's perspective. It was indeed. Uh, it was just a fantastic kind of dominant display, one that we've been asking for against not only Spurs, but of course a lot of big sides, especially after that Manchester City game where it felt like they barely needed to get out of like second gear to, to get a victory over us. To know, to know the fact that we could dominate that game, get the result, take the chances that we did create for ourselves, even though we did miss a fair few chances too. Drew, coming to you, mate, and, and talking about kind of the reaction to a lot of stuff that happened. It was more than just the result. There was, of course, some incidents before the game that we'll, we'll get onto a little bit later on. Um, but the lineup was an interesting one. One change was forced. Um, but it was interesting to obviously see players like Cedric come in at right back. See, obviously, Tierney, we expect to see start every game. But this Luis Gabriel partnership has kind of solidified itself as maybe Arsenal's best duo. What did you make of the defensive setup of the team? You know, I think it made, it made sense. And uh, there's always going to be debate about, you know, Cedric and, and Bayern and who should be first choice and whatnot. So um, if we talk about that, it, it could be later. But I think for me, it's telling that he's now put complete faith in Gabriel and Luis and, and, and for lack of a better term, uh, they should be, um, I think on balance, they should be viewed as the first choice pairing and, and center back is one of those things where you don't want to constantly rotate them in the first place. Once you find a pair that works and it gives you everything you need in terms of uh, the technical and tactical requirements, you stick with it. You, you know, even bigger clubs who have, you know, they might have three or four good center backs. They don't rotate them without that the need to, whether if it's fitness concerns or if there is match congestion, they'll, they'll, they'll maybe pull one of them out, not both. But um, I think it shows the right amount of faith from the manager. I think it shows that um, they have come on strong. I do think Gabriel probably also needs Louise there next to him in the first place for, for one or two reasons. It is his first season in the Premier League. His English isn't great, things like that. So obviously that helps, but they do play well together. And you saw that against Spurs. I, I don't remember... A period at any point where I was actually concerned, considering you know the forward line that Spurs do have, if they're on song on any given day, that, that's a very dangerous front four to contend with. And I was completely confident going into the match. I think that shows the progression that we all would have wanted. A first and foremost, but B, it, it, it's commensurate with what we actually have seen tangibly throughout the season. You know, the reason why we have the was the fourth best defensive record in the league at the moment. Gabriel and Louise are a big part of that when, when they're fit. So. Um, yeah, and because we just have Europe League to contend with now and we don't know how far we're going to go in that, I, I want to see that pairing as much as humanly possible because continuity 
in your match day 11 is it's absolutely vital if you want to be successful in, in the long term of the season you shouldn't rotate unless you have to so i'm happy with that um i do think baron and, and cedric will probably rotate especially you know i, I don't think baron's at 100 percent post his injury so you we're going to see cedric by default i think um and, and that doesn't have to go deeper into the debate of who's better or who's not and, you know, i just want both of them to perform when they're in the side i thought i thought cedric played well so that's all that really matters it doesn't mean i think one should start more of the other i think Whoever is informed should play, and when you need to rotate them, you have to rotate them. But I think um, I'm just happy with how everybody played, and you know we're all happy with how Tierney plays every week. <laughs> so there's nothing much to say yes. about Tierney in the first place. So yeah, I was pleased with it, and I thought the results sort of uh, spoke for itself. Speaking about the defence, uh, we do have something to share with our members in the chat box. Of course, they do have access to use the fun emojis. And today we added a new one. Uh, Drew was not amused, it's fair to say, when I showed him this earlier. Um, but Cedric has been added as requested by a lot of our, uh, our fantastic members to the array of emojis available to you to use in the chat. So you asked, we delivered, you've now got a Cedric emoji. So there you go. And I hope you enjoy using it um but it's been a fantastic time to see obviously Cedric rise into the first team but Raf talking about the midfield Thomas Partey and Granit Xhaka those two together have seemingly worked kind of in tandem I mean Xhaka has been playing not only out of his shoes but he's been playing every single week to the point where he probably does justify the need for footballers to have new boots every single game because he just keeps getting picked and he's playing consistently since the turn of the new year after kind of a troubled start but him and Partey together kind of dominated that midfield didn't they Yeah, I think um, there was big talk because um, I don't, and, I, and obviously maybe this is just me putting my Arsenal hat on, but I feel like the Tottenham midfield has been praised a lot this year. Like Hoiberg, all of a sudden from Southampton to Tottenham became world class. Uh, Nombele, uh, who, who I think who I think's definitely improved from from his first season, but I feel like there was a lot of talk like they would potentially dominate the midfield battle. And I just think that when you look at how Partey and Xhaka play, and I'll be, I'm be i surpri surprised to say in particular Xhaka, I think Xhaka was very good yesterday. I think um, I think Partey was good, um, especially initially, but I think he did fade, if I'm honest, and, and, and made some mistakes um, towards the end of the game, just kind of like game management stuff. I think maybe fitness was a big part of that, but I think uh, I can see that there's room to improve, even though he played really well. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, hats off to them in general. I think they dictated the tempo of the game. I think they controlled the midfield. I think they controlled the ball. And it allowed us to basically just put a foothold in the game, which I think has sometimes been an issue. And also in transition, where Tottenham are normally quite good, I felt Partey was good at breaking up play. I felt Xhaka bought fouls at the right time and things like that. So I think all in all, and then it allowed Erdegaard to be uh, to find pockets of space, to find little uh, bits in in play, and, and Smith Rowe in particular to to really start to just put a, a foothold on the game and just control the game and play our way. So I think I think the midfield you can see a lot of um, positives going forward. It would be an area I would strengthen in the summer, but obviously for now, I would definitely say that Jacka. Um, yeah, uh, we criticise him a lot when he does well, uh, when he does badly, but I think he did really well um, yesterday. 
Yeah, I thought he was really, really good once again. Just keep on with that passing <clears> onto <throat> the left-hand side, utilising Tierney as best possible. It just works at the moment. And, and it doesn't... I mean, the, the drop-off in quality from those two to Sabayas and Elneny is, is, I think, significant. I think Sabayas did really well towards the end of last season in, the, in kind of that combination with, with Granite Xhaka. But we've just moved on to a different plane with, with Partey coming in. Um we now get on to kind of the, the, the talking about the game, but before the game, something happened um, and someone was dropped uh, because they weren't being a good boy, uh, it's fair to say. Um, Johnny, to get your initial reaction on, on just obviously when you initially heard what happened and what you've heard since and then how you've reflected on the Aubameyang situation afterwards, what are your thoughts? So the, the situation with Aubameyang is... Um, you know, I, ha- I have some sympathy on this front, and that is that I think that, uh, you know, players are not robots. They have personal lives. And I think for me, it's quite clear that through some of the stuff that we've heard recently, Aubameyang's going through, I think it's had an impact on him. You know, again, he's not a robot. He's got emotions, and it seems like personal life is starting to have an impact with regards to his playing, um, playing life at the moment. And... Ultimately, he, his head, he looks distracted, basically. He does look distracted by things that uh, are going on elsewhere. And ultimately, if that leads you to turning up late, you know, and doing other things where it's not exactly the, being the model professional and his role is even more in the spotlight because he's captain, you know, if he was just star striker, that would be something. But you're the captain. And at the end of the day, when you're captain, you're the role model. People look to you for, you know, how to behave. And I think that ultimately at this stage, I do think that because of the quality of the player, there is obviously a future for him at Arsenal in the sense that, um, you know, he is our best finisher. um, And he absolutely, when playing well, provides something to our team and adds something to our uh, team. But ultimately, in my opinion, him as a captain, I think that's done now. I think... At the end of the day, if you're being dropped essentially for for being unprofessional, I think you've got to take the armband as well. And let's be honest, this is not like taking the armband off Patrick Vieira, you know, for spitting at Ruddock or something. Vieira is an actual captain. You know, he he, he led by example. Aubameyang's not a very good captain anyway. We just did it in a kind of PR move like we did to Henri in the past where you give the armband as a bit of a signing-on bonus. Um, and I don't think he's ever been one that has particularly led well. So for me, I think just give it to Kieran Tierney and let's move on. At the end of the day, Kieran Tierney's a guy who represents everything about Arsenal, what we want to be doing, how we want to be moving forward and the aggression and intensity that it needs to play for Arsenal Football Club. And ultimately, I think we could just, we've got an opportunity now to take that captaincy away from Aubameyang and not have it be a complete disaster. So I think they should do it and move it on to someone who's a bit more befitting of the role. Um, it's interesting to follow this on with a question for Drew um, because in the on Twitter, we were actually sent a question uh, from Colin McCreary who says, Drew, you follow German football uh, more specifically, Aubameyang uh, longer than I have. What are your thoughts on his behaviour both historically and as it relates to yesterday's incident? I'm surprised you didn't have an additional question after that. So I was kind of waiting for it. But <laughs> hey, yeah, and I'll be I'll be back on the camera in a minute. I, you know, I'm trying to finish work. I know we do. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so for me, I, I mean, I'm not surprised. And I was kind of joking with some of the, the people I know in the Dortmund fan base. And we were saying, you know, it was only a matter of time 
before this sort of thing kind of popped up. And obviously you want to give players the benefit of the doubt when they come to a new club, you hope behaviors change, you know, and things started similarly well for Oba at Dortmund, but eventually over time, there were a lot of clashes um, off the pitch with, with management, you know, with, um, with Sork and uh, uh, um, with Tuchel as well. And, and Miss Lintatin, it's kind of a, um, it was similar. Like he always felt the rules didn't really apply to him. Turning up late for training was was a thing that started to happen as well. You know, late for uh, uh, team briefings. Again, same thing. It's no different here. And, and for me, it was my only concern about signing him when we did wasn't the fact that he wasn't going to produce because his track record shows literally the opposite. It's what are we what Oba are we going to get out off the pitch? Is he going to is he going to is he going to remain in line? Is he going to you know? show that level of maturity you kind of want. And, and again, for up until this con- the, the contract, you know, he did show it, at least that we know of. Mm-hmm. But now all of a sudden it's coming out that it's been multiple times that he's shown up late as captain. It's inexcusable. And, and as I talked about on the, on the Yama podcast yesterday, um, Michael and I both have a lot of coaching experience. You know, Jess and I have a lot of playing experience. And, you know, when I was captain, my coach would have strangled me if I turned up late to, to training or to 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 a team meeting and as as a coach i expect all the players to arrive on time if not early and certainly the captain because you're supposed to set that example right and he's one of the senior players in the side you know and and the youngsters have said that they do look to him as an example amongst others him and louise are prime examples right so and if he's if he just doesn't want to turn up on time and it's become a habit it's setting the wrong example so i don't think you should strip him during the season. I think that's going to cause a whole host of other problems for the remainder of the term. But I think the summer is a perfect time to move on from him as in a leadership role. And I don't think it ever suited him. You know, people look to the fact that he wears the armband for, for, um, for Gabon, but who else is going to wear it for Gabon? He's, he's the country's greatest ever player essentially. So of course he's going to be captain, right? But it doesn't mean he is a captain. You know, he is not, he wasn't in the leadership role at Dortmund. You know, he wasn't considered, for one here until, and, and and as we just discussed, I think we all know why he was given the armband. I think it was more to placate, to get him to stay on and in a moment of need where we wanted to retain our, our best goal scorer. So, um, and there's nothing wrong with changing captains from, from one year to the next. You know, I think we have better leadership figures in the team. Um, you have historic uh, captains in the, in the side right now. Jack has been captain since 22 at Gladbach, captain Switzerland. You know, he's been captain for Arsenal before. You could argue that Bayern has captain qualities. You could argue that, you know, maybe someone like Luis, because people look up to him as much as they do. Kieran Tierney, another prime example, maybe a longer-term appointment. So, yeah, I, overall, I'm trying not to rant about Oba himself, because I still think that under the right circumstances, he has a large role to play for Arteta and for the club as long as he's here. But I do think this is just another example of why he never should have been made captain and why I was actually pretty furious that we actually did it. Because it, it's it's a it's a continuous thing with him, you know. Even if it's mm-hmm. not continuous, it's not like an everyday thing. But eventually, stuff like this is going to happen when he feels comfortable, and he feels like he's at the point where he can sort of, I don't know, like unbuckle the belt, so to speak. Things like this will happen, you know. So yeah, I, I, I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, I, I do feel like he should be shipped at the end of the season. And I think long term, it doesn't mean he doesn't have a role for the club. I just feel like part of the culture that Arteta is trying to establish is those, those non-negotiables, you know, also the intangibles and then also accountability, 
everybody from the youngest player in the squad to to Oba and and Louise and and the, and the senior and players in the squad. So if he's not capable of doing that, then he shouldn't be captain in the first place. And there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, I just, I just feel like I, I wasn't surprised and I'm happy he was dropped because it shows that example. No one is above the law because if you let Oba get away with it, what does that say to the other members of the squad? Then you are playing favorites, right? Or then, well, if Oba can do it, well, maybe I can do it. And then that's how you get issues in the dressing room. So yeah, I mean, so I think we'll be fine, but I'm not surprised, and we uh, move on from here. You know, it's bigger, bigger, bigger issues to worry about. Yeah, no, I agree with you. There is certainly bigger issues to worry about. Just before I get Raf's thoughts on this, just drop into the chat box and see what you guys are saying. Hovik, thanks for the, the support as always, mate. He says Alba was probably made captain because the fans love him, and the board had to get the fans back on side after the whole Xhaka incident. Um, of course, he was made captain at the time by by Unai Emery rather than Arteta, and it was a decision that he kind of just took to continue on. It's, it's a weird, isn't it? Like you come into a club as a new manager you have that moment where you've either got to take the captaincy away from someone and give it to someone new, which in itself to a player like Aubameyang, you've got to think of the impacts on him going to be significant. And he probably just felt at the time it was best to move on. He's going to be here for another season or two and, and just deal with it when the time comes and, and give it to the next person, which we hope is is someone like Kieran Tierney. Uh, Glenn Cook says Aubameyang is not a captain. He lacks the responsibility and mentality for it. He's an experienced player who is a popular figure in the dressing room, and that's it. Clayton says, although I think he'd be great at it, I don't think Katie is seen as a captain by the locker room quite yet. I'm not sure about that. I think he actually he's looked upon as, as very much so as a person to look up to. Raf, finish off this section on just giving your thoughts on Aubameyang to close us out. Do you think it's it's as far as saying we could strip him of the captaincy or is it just an incident that is going to be pushed under the rug now, moved on from and, and we move to the next game? Um, I think it's a bit of both. Um, I don't think that we should strip him personally now. Um, I do agree in that. I don't personally think that he is the quote-unquote captain of the team. I think spiritually, in terms of like the actual leaders are Louise and, and Xhaka. Um, in the dressing room and just how they conduct themselves. And even when you listen to somebody like the kids and stuff, I think that the way that they, I guess, dedicate every day and stuff like that, I think that they're the ones that are the examples within the um, uh, within the team personally. I think with Aubameyang, it was, yeah, I think he's just the best player. And sometimes that worked and, and sometimes it doesn't. I think he's been all right as captain, but I just think that, this is a really, I think bigger than this, the captaincy, I think is a really important time for Arteta because I think that one thing he has been questioned about sometimes is there has been elements of man management where he's been quite, you know, he's led kind of with an iron fist. You look at the Guendouzi incident, you look at Ozil, you look at Maitland-Niles. Uh, there's been a lot of incidents where you could argue that um, Arteta has been quite... Um, He's been quite forthright with, you know, the non-negotiables and how he's done it. And I think a player like Aubameyang, uh, towing the line or not, because, you know, if the reports are true and he did storm out 20 minutes after the game and he didn't warm up with the rest of the team, does he get fined again? Does, is there more disciplinary for that? Does he kind of, how does he manage that? And I think that for Arteta... I think it's just a really interesting time. It would have been it would have been really hard for him if he lost that game, I think. I think the fact that he won that game really kind of is probably of such a weight off of his shoulders because all of the talk would have been Aubameyang's left. There was already talk about Martinelli not being in the squad, you know, and then obviously 
I, I also don't necessarily agree with the fact that it was made public. But again, I just think it's going to be very interesting to see how it kind of holds. But I think it's a very, very important period for what Arteta's trying to do. And if he kind of loses this, not, I, I don't want to go as far to say it's a battle because I don't think Aubameyang is going to just go AWOL or anything like that. But I think if he kind of loses Aubameyang, it will be interesting to see how like the rest of the club or the rest of the players take it. So, um, yeah, I'll, I'll be watching and I'll be interested. But I think it was the right decision. I don't think it should have been made public. But I think to set that marker down and say n- nobody's bigger than the team was a good thing. It would just be important to see how, how we move on from here. So I just wanted to say, I, I take your point, Raph, and I think more often than not, I think like 98.7% of the time you and I actually agree. There's like that one, that odd 1% where we, where we don't agree, but. I'm not going to wear this, Raph. Like in the WhatsApp. But I think the thing for me though, I think it's interesting, and I kind of want to get Johnny's uh, thoughts on this as well. Like the, the fans have, for, for however many months now or even years, have been crying out for that they want the transparency of decisions. What, rightly or wrongly, that's what they want. So I think Arteta has given them that, and then fans are saying, well, maybe he shouldn't have made it public. Well, which one is it then? Yeah. Which one do you want? Do you want the transparency, or do you not want the transparency? Because you can't have transparency half the time, because then when you don't get it the other half of the time, it's going to be like, well, what are you hiding this time if you didn't hide last time? And you know how our fans can be fickle about how it's never good enough. Do you know what I mean? So I yeah. kind of like that he came out with, because I think holding people to accountability publicly, I think, especially when it's your captain, it's, it's, it's important because when you're, when you're captain, you should already be more in the public eye than other players anyway. And I think someone brought it up in the chat before, and I forget who said it, but I think it, it ground a lot of people's gears. But the fact that when, when things were, were down and out, we were never hearing from Oba. We're always hearing from other players, but never the captain. And to me, that's mm-hmm. awkward because if you look at other leagues, like if you look in Bundesliga, you always see captains doing post-match interviews. Even at the, the worst of times, they hold themselves accountable and the team accountable in front in front of the fans. It's not, you know, some side thing on Instagram or it's, you know what I mean, like it or or a tweet. It's very, it's very in your face. And that might not be part of the English footballing culture, but I feel like some of the fans would probably prefer that. So the fact, I think the fact that Arteta came out and said, this is what it is. Here's what's happened. You know, I know the finer details came out through somebody else, like James from Gunnerblog said that this has been a repeat thing, right? Would we have known it was a repeat thing without James? Probably not. But I, I think it's better that we heard it up front because now you know where Arteta stands, where, like, and what's expected of everybody, including your captain. I think that's an important part of that culture building that we weren't getting before. It, it, or at the very least in the, in the final Wenger years and probably under Emery to a certain extent. But I think Arteta did the right thing. I do agree with you that he would have been under pressure. Say we, we ran out and lost 3-0 and we were diabolical, right? Didn't, barely got any chances, didn't score a goal, Laka wasn't on it, whatever it may have been. I think the fans' ire would have turned on Arteta, but I think it would have been the, the wrong issue. I think the thing that, that that wound me up so much is the fact that the fans wanted to find a stick to beat Arteta with instead of looking at Oba and saying, your captain needs to do better. There were too many fans that were siding with Oba and that was very weird to me. So I just wanted to know like, wh- like where you guys stood on that portion of it, the fact that we were being transparent, whereas so many times before it was just like, well, what the hell is going on? And now we know exactly what's going on for the most part. So, Yeah, I, I mean... This- oh, um, I'm going to say, so, so, so for me... Um, 
you know, it's interesting what you say, Drew, and I, I think my view changed as it went as well. So initially, I thought that, um, you know, as potentially Raph alluded to, I thought it could have been, hand- I initially thought it could have been handled in a different way. And it was airing the dirty laundry in public when it was like kind of unnecessary when it is such an influential player. And also my initial thoughts were, if you want to prove a point by leaving him out, why is he even in the squad? You know, like just just leave him completely out if that's what you want to do. You've kind of gone half in, half out. It, it's it. You know, it's reflecting weakness when you're trying to show strength because you're kind of like, oh, I might actually be getting done over in this and need him. So if you know, at the end of the day, it is a significant game for him, and I do think if we lost this, Arteta would have been in pretty bad shape um, in terms of his outlook. Granted, we would get through in the Europa League anyway, but, it you know, there could have been a lot of pressure on him. So he obviously cares a lot about the principle of the issue, and that is that, you know, at the end of the day, you have to follow the rules, and the rules are turn up on time. But, you know, when we start to learn that extra stuff, as you said, as you hinted at, Drew, that this might be a pattern of behaviour as well as is being reported, that for me says that, first of all, I completely back what Arteta did, and I'm pleased that he... Um, did go public with why it was. But that's why I think we need to also say um, that, you know, you, you need to take the captaincy off him. And I know there's people in the chat as well. A few people are saying, just save it to the end of the season. Don't ruffle any feather. I, I understand why you're saying that. I just don't agree. Because if you want, if you don't want to rock the boat, you shouldn't, have, you shouldn't have dropped him. If you want to drop him and prove a point, then ultimately take the captaincy away. And what I've said before is that I don't actually think he's the best captain anyway. Like, you know, and I think it's a good, it's a good um, a kind of uh, a point of um, incitement of why he can actually do it without necessarily completely destroying the links. Like if you went to Aubameyang and went, you are captain, you keep turning up like I have to take it away from you because of the rules. I think you'd get that. Whereas if you tried to do it because it's like, yeah, you haven't got enough guts on the field, then he wouldn't like that. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. So there's a there's a good little opportunity for Arteta to reallocate the uh, captaincy and I think it should go to Tierney because he embodies it. Uh, you know, Kieran Tierney's turning up on time with his Sainsbury's bag. Yes, let's go. That's <laughs> what I'm talking about. That's my captain right there. I think Sainsbury's is a bit highbrow for Tierney. Quick, quick save. Uh, yeah, no, what, what I was going to say is um, I think the reason why I felt like it could have been in-house or he didn't have to make it public because it was kind of a bit of a half he half told the story he, he said he it's disciplinary but i'm not going to speak about it so it's not really transparent if that makes sense so it kind of the ambiguity in in what he did made it a little bit like well what is it like does it like and if we were losing would he have played him like it just because he was already he was on the bench but he it was like it all felt like that's why I say I think it was a very good thing that we played so well and that we won the game and he didn't need him, in effect. But I think if we were 2-1 down with 10 minutes to go, does he bring him on? Does he not? And if he didn't, it would have been a big statement. But I think the main reason why I felt like he shouldn't have made it public at that time was because he never actually said what happened. And it was like, OK. And, and we only heard it from other sources and leaks. I, I don't really think that that's the best way to go about it if personally if the club leaked it then fine I don't know where these leaks are all coming from but mm. it wasn't Arteta that actually said you know what he turned up late and that's why I dropped him 
said it's a disciplinary issue, but I'm not going to speak about it. That then leads the, the conversations in uh, afterwards in the press and all of that, it begins speculation. And if you lose that game and then all the speculation grows, does he address it? Does he not? I just think it leaves an opportunity for people to criticise him personally. And I just think he was just lucky that the game went the way that it went. And not lucky, but if you get what I mean, like it could, if it went, I don't know, if it was the Burnley game that happened and then we draw when we should have won and that situation happens, I think that he's under so much more pressure because of it, because he kind of was transparent, but wasn't, if that makes sense. It's like, do one or the other. That was, that's the only reason why I say that. It's kind of, it was kind of in the middle. Fair, and I know Tom wants to move on, but I think the one thing I would say is we don't know if it was his decision to do that or if it was the club's media plan for him to give the initial hit and then intentionally let people like James, who writes for The Athletic, which is one of the bigger outlets out there, and then do have a connection to Arsenal through multiple sources, so they could have actually told, they could have given The Athletic that, so they could have been the ones to write about it while Arteta kind of, gave us the initial information. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? Does that make sense? So I, well, I we, we don't, Yeah, I get you. But I think that's yeah. wrong. I, I, that, that's what I mean. I, I, feel I, like, yeah, I, I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I mean, I think it probably would be. I think I would rather hear all of it from just the manager. I wouldn't want to hear half of it from the manager and then half of it from the media. And then I agree with you on in that portion, but I don't think we, we can so quickly just say that it was, it was Arteta's decision to only give us 50%. It could very well have been, but I feel like if we don't know, we just have to kind of just like, well, this is what the situation is now. For whatever it's worth, I'm happy that it was leaked because, as Johnny said, like when when we when we knew exactly what it was, it made it a little bit easier to cope with. So, and that's what I think the club has to take that on board moving forward. If it was a decision to handle it this way, then they need to make it a little bit of an adjustment, handle it a little bit better moving forward. That would that would just be my take personally, though. Yeah, and, yeah. and even, even even when I say about you know stripping Bamming in the captaincy, like I I I'm not like this is not going to be a hill that I'm willing to die on. It's what I would do. But there's people saying making valid arguments for you know not rocking the boat. But I just think for me, as I say, I don't I don't believe in him as, as a captain overall anyway. I don't think he's a long term solution there. So I would just get it done because I'd I I would much prefer Tierney to have the captaincy, but ultimately, you know, other people's points, I do, you know, I get, I'm, this is not the hill that I will be dying on. That's <laughs> <laughs> no, completely fair enough, mate. Um, as Drew said, we're going to move on because we've got a lot to talk about. Uh, I know a lot of people in the chat books are throwing in questions to the chat, which is great. What I will say is we do have a 20 minute section now because we extended our podcast um, to 90 minutes now so we're on till 10 o'clock or well, most of us will be I'm sure some of the boys might have to jump off um, but uh, there will be time for questions at the end so if you do have them keep them in the mind save them and we will get to them with the last 20 minutes of the show um, just to give my final thoughts on that I agree with what uh, in the chat book someone said he was basically put into a lose-lose situation I, I very much agree with that I, I tell, had to do something had to react to it it's a North London derby your, your captain's turned up late he has to make a decision Um in terms of the explanation, my view of it is that I, I agree with Drew in the sense that people have called for transparency for so long, and then when they're given it, there are people that are moaning about that transparency, which I do have a little bit of a, an, an issue with in a way. So 
either way, whatever happened, it's, it's worked out in Arsenal's favour, which is what we've got to come on to next. I don't want to spend loads of time on the game itself because we usually spend the podcast talking kind of about what's next. But I don't even want to talk about Lamella's goal because it was the flukiest goal I've ever seen in my life. Um, <laughs> so uh, moving on to kind of performances and, and incidents, I want to talk about the penalty because the penalty is kind of it's garnered a lot more controversy than I expected on social media and throughout punditry and, and everything else. And Johnny, I'm going to start with you on this one. Jermaine Genus and Michael, Michael, um, Martin Keown on match of the day had a pretty much a love fest of how they agreed that it wasn't a penalty by any means. Now I'm not, I'll, I'll give you my opinion a little bit later on. So I don't influence what you're going to say. I'm sure it wouldn't anyway, but what were your thoughts on the decision and whatever that is, how did you kind of come to that conclusion of whatever way you thought it should have fallen? Um, I'm so glad we're actually talking about this because I've just been having um, a big debate with some Tottenham friends. I mean, look, guys, I, I have friends? to... Friends? That's have what to Tottenham and friends together. You know, I, I've known yeah. them for a while. I don't trust their judgment, but we <laughs> plough on with this masquerade we call friendship. But ultimately... As you would expect, they're saying it wasn't a penalty, it wasn't a penalty. And I just cannot understand. I genuinely can't get it. First of all, when you talk about Martin Keown, I absolutely love him and have that tribal loyalty. But I, I think the man makes so many ridiculous statements about football. I, I seriously question his judgment. I really do. Um, so often I kind of live by the rule. If you would agree with Martin Keown about something to do with football, the chances are you're wrong. It's that simple. And... Um, you know, my argument with regards to this penalty, why it is a penalty, is this. It, there is a sim, uh, symbiotic kind of connection to another incident that has happened that, uh, um, uh, just a few weeks ago in the form of Dominic, Dominic Calvert-Lewin against Liverpool. And this was a chance where Calvert-Lewin ran through on goal. He took a shot. Keeper saved it. Um, and then he was running through. Now, Trent Alexander-Arnold slid in front of him. He did not take him out with the initial contact. Calvert-Lewin, in fact, ran into the sliding player who was in front of him, but because he could have had a goal-scoring opportunity and Alexander-Arnold has committed and not got the ball, they gave a penalty. I didn't think it was a penalty at the time. I said it wasn't, but they said that that's the justification. When you look at the Lacazette situation, it's exactly the same. Well, it's slightly different in the form that... Unlike Calvert-Lewin, our striker shanks the ball. <laughs> he can't do straight. So he shanks yeah. the ball. But the fact of the matter is, he didn't smash it at the ground into Rose Ed. He shanks it so poorly that he could have actually got his own... He could have got onto his own shot because it was kind of spinning away and it wasn't going out of play. And there is a fair argument that he would have got there before Louise. So at that point, if Davinson Sanchez commits himself and in any way impedes Lacazette from going on to get that ball that he would have done, that is a penalty by the same rule that Calvin Lewis, Calvert-Lewin's was a penalty. And I, I just don't get how people can't understand that. Fair enough. You finished talking just as I was writing out an instruction to Drew and Raff, which is fine. We'll carry on anyway. <laughs> um, but in terms of the, the actual penalty itself, like, and the reaction to it as well, I really struggle with how that happening anywhere else on the pitch garners a free kick 
with no exception. Like if if there's a late, whatever it's described as as a late challenge, it's a foul. It's a foul. Doesn't matter if the ball is miskicked. Doesn't matter if the ball isn't even kicked. In the case of Lacazette, if you are recklessly taken out anywhere on the pitch, which he was, it's a foul. And also the argument of Jermaine Genus to say that Lacazette kicks Sanchez, which I found to be one of the most comical lines of analysis I've watched on Match of the Day. And this is the guy that's being kind of groomed to take over from Gary Lineker one day on Match of the Day, which might put an end to me watching Match of the Day, unfortunately. Um, but it's, I would get really frustrated with that view because the amount of times that we see players clear the ball from their defensive third... As they're kicking the ball away, their foot follows through. And often a challenging player comes in with kind of studs coming down to try and stop the ball. And that player will kick the underside of that player's boot. And it's given as a foul. And sometimes even a card is is brandished if it's really reckless. And this is a, a similar one. He follows through with his kick and it goes into Sanchez, who's lunging in at Lacazette. It, it is a very, very clear thing. As I said, I didn't want to spend too long on this. And I know that Drew and Ralph both share the same through. Uh, same view, sorry, as Johnny. So we will move swiftly on from the penalty decision. Um, as we do, though, just to briefly go back, Chris P, thank you for the super chat. And I'm regarding the Abamyang incident. He says, I don't think you could drop him completely. If he was late already, who else would have been ready to take his place on the bench? Uh, which is, again, a, a good point. Um, and I think that with the form of Eddie and Ketir, and maybe there's always that thing is if you want to save the game and we are losing, having him there... You've punished him by not starting him, but maybe bringing him on later if we needed him would have been a better thing for most fans to have seen, I'm sure. Um, of course, we then talk about kind of the context of what this means, Drew, because it's, I think Arsene Wenger beat Jose Mourinho in the league once during in, during his entire tenure at the club. Arteta has managed it in the space of just over a year of, in charge of, of Arsenal. Spurs and Arsenal have had a, a tenuous kind of competition between themselves over recent years where they have, unfortunately, we admit to say, closed the gap significantly and we've struggled to get results over them, especially away from home. And this one this season has obviously been something which we've struggled this season. It's been really down. But from a mental perspective and for what this result means to Arsenal, how do you think it is going to boost this side going forwards? Um, I don't know. And I think that's the, the bigger overarching question for me is can we build any measure of consistency off this for the rest of the season? Because you could argue that consistency has been our, probably our biggest weakness. You know, one minute we look brilliant, the next, you know, we're, we're drawing Burnley. So, um, yeah, I mean, I, you want to go out and beat your rival. And I think, you know, when you look at a, the, the, the fixture list, you, you look at the North London Derby twice and you say, you have to go out and win. That's it. And um, even though Spurs are having on balance a better season than us overall like it, it gives it more incentive as well because now we in theory can catch them mathematically in the table so we have a better chance of doing it anyway so and it you need to build performances off when you be your biggest rival in the derby you know so um i think it could be a catalyst i just don't know if it will be i do think we'll go out and beat olympiacos anyway i think we would have even if we lost this but for me i think what it could maybe do is give the players that additional belief that I think Arteta already has that finishing top six is actually possible. You know, we still have to go and play Liverpool. We have to play West Ham and we have to play Chelsea. They're all ahead of us. And we're within seven points of mm. sixth, I think. So that that kind of belief in the league, I think I think the players already believe we can go. Seven points. Yeah. Five I think, points. 
Yeah, there you go. So I think I think I think Arteta and the players genuinely believe we can go on and win Europa League anyway. I don't think that's in dispute. At least whether the fans believe it or not, it's one thing. I think the players and the manager do. I think maybe now if the players start to believe more and more that we can actually climb up a table a bit more, which would help the optics of the overall season, especially if we don't win Europa League, then that would be a big achievement as well, considering how we're in fifteenth for however many weeks. So um, that'd be a big, a, a big achievement for us, just on the back of that. But also give us renewed belief that we're going in the right direction. And the fact that he has already beaten Mourinho tells you, I think he's up to the task. He's beaten what every top six manager bar Tuchel because he hasn't managed against Tuchel yet. So that also shows me that Arteta is willing to maybe. I think he's a man of his principles, but you can say that you can look at all those performances against the, the, those sides and say that there was one or two things that he did differently that he didn't do against somebody else. And that shows the difference between Arteta so far and Wenger in the later years that Wenger was so staunch about how he wanted to play football. He didn't try to adjust based off who his opponent was. Arteta does to a certain extent. He won't get rid of the the, the, the base level ethos of what he wants to do and he'll keep the same overall principles, but there might be slight tactical adjustments he'll make to target certain things. We absolutely targeted Doherty. I think we would have done the same if it was Arie there because Arie is horrific on the defensive side of the ball. He's always caught He's always caught out of position. He's rash. I think we would have targeted their right-hand side regardless of who was there. And I think that's come from Arteta, more so than we already do anyway. Um, I think the fact that Smithrow had more freedom on the ball than he would have maybe somewhere else in the pitch, I think that's why he's put him on that side. He could have easily put Odegaard there who can play wide. He could have uh, put uh, you know Pepe on now Saka on that side and moved Odegaard to the right and played ESR through the middle. So I think he, I think you see little things like that and know that Arteta looks at his opponent and says, "This is their main weakness. I can try to hit it this way." And that's the difference between him and maybe Wenger since since that part was brought up. That you know since it took you know Wenger never beat Mourinho, but Arteta already has. So I think I think we can get a lot of confidence from it. But that's kind of yeah. So I yeah, and I think we should. Yeah, I agree with you. I think it will be a kind of a mental uh, boost to the side, and and also kind of a build upon the fact that up against big six teams, we are being more competitive. We look better in these games. It's something that Arsenal has struggled with a lot during the last kind of decade and more is, is to win and pick up points against the big six sides. We've taken three uh, against Chelsea, and we've got another chance to take three more of them later in the season. Of course, we didn't manage to get. A win over Manchester City, but across two games, we lost 1-0 twice, which <laughs> which has been very different in recent seasons. Man United, we've taken four points off of Spurs. We've taken three, uh, and I'm missing someone. Liverpool, of course, we've got to play again after we lost in a game, which a lot of people felt that we did compete well in the game at Anfield, and we obviously conceded right at the end when it was it was 2-1 at that point. Um, Raf. The, the issue is, Raf, is that there was kind of a few issues at the end of the game. Um, and <laughs> we did feel like we were hanging on by our fingernails for quite a lot of it. And, and Gabriel's goal line clearance did have my heart in my mouth for <laughs> quite a few minutes uh, of the end of the game. But we did come through. But do you think there's cause for concern in terms of game management and how we handled those last kind of 10 to 15, 20 minutes of the match, especially considering we had a man more than they did? Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that we've just got to manage the game better. I think um, it's an issue that I think will improve in, uh, in, but I think it's something that's plagued us the whole season. I think if we could look like, I think if you look at you look at the Wolves game when we were in complete dominance, obviously I don't think it was a, a red card in a million years, but 
we're still in a position where we go down to 10 men and lose a game we should uh, should win. Uh, you look at the Burnley game in complete control and lose it. The home Burnley game, even when we were in poor form, we are in complete control, lose our heads, lose it. You look at the Olympiacos game, Benfica game. I think we're losing you, Raf, ever so slightly. Um, <laughs> it's just something about Raf's internet and Spurs that just go synonymously together. It seems. Johnny, <laughs> do you want to kind of continue the point on what Raf was saying about how we, how you thought, and how we might have to deal with that in the future moving forwards. Yeah, I, I, I see. If there is a negative out of it, uh, this was one of the things that I looked at, and I was like. That disappoints me just because ultimately I thought we were completely in control of the game. We were the most dangerous team by a long, long way. We we're the only ones who looked like doing any damage. And I would probably have more sympathy for the fact of us getting nervous and falling back into ourselves if we didn't see them go down to 10 men. But they've got a player less than us. We're dominating possession. Our players, you know, we've got some good subs that are coming on and that are having impacts as well. And I just thought that fear set in. And, um, you know, I want to see that eradicated from the team as soon as possible because it we, we can, cons- you know, conspire to find ways to lose in the way that Raf was illustrating earlier in these games. And in those big games where you are talking a bit about facing quality opposition, obviously Harry Kane was there and, and very nearly did some big damage at the end of the game. You know, in these big games where you when you are facing fearsome opposition, the simple facts of the matter, you've, you've got to be switched on. And, um, you know, I thought there were a number of players who started to go into their shell. Uh, but luckily, you know, we still had enough kind of grids. And don't get me wrong, we, we deserve to win the game because that's what it would have been an absolute sucker punch if they had got something out of it. But ultimately, you know, I think that will come with maturity and with the team playing together and learning... Uh, like the the setup of the team, what Arteta wants from them, I think they'll they'll grow to be able to see out games like that much more readily in future. Hmm. Drew, I, I want to ask you a question um, around something that me and you have disagreed on in the past, and this isn't me digging you out because it's worked, <laughs> I promise you. Um, but Emil Smith-Rowe and, and Erdogan playing together is something I really enjoy. I, I really like the fact that Emil Smith-Rowe is, is versatile enough to play in kind of a wider role, but it's not a wing position. It's kind of like a, a 10 that's skewed out to the side, which drifts inside and combines and is fluid with the, the more natural 10, which in this case is Erdogan. Now, we disagreed, of course, around January time about the type of player that we should be targeted to bring in as kind of backup or competition with Emil Smith-Rowe. Do you, has your view kind of changed on that? Is it still the same? Do you think we should be prioritising Smith-Rowe as being kind of the, the guy for, to be our number 10 for the future? Or has his success in the kind of versatile positions convinced you that maybe signing an Erdogan or Erdogan himself in the summer would still be a smarter move now? I wasn't digging you out. I promise. <laughs> no, no, I, I know. I know you well enough to know when you are, and then I would obviously kill you later. So it's fine. Um, yeah, my wedding, probably. That's correct. Live on TV, <laughs> um, <laughs> which Mike will be recording. Obviously. <laughs> um, no, I think my initial reaction to the Erdogan move was no one would have known that Sacco was going to be moved to the right, thus vacating the left hand side for maybe some place for Smith Rowe to, to, to go and find minutes in. I think a lot of thanks for me personally was that fact. I know that Erdogan can go out and play on, on, on the right particularly, but also on the left. But again, 
no one saw the Saka move and how that's come off. And everyone assumed it would be Saka left, Pepe right, or, or William right, and then Bidegaard and, and, and Smith Rowe would rotate. But um, I think from what you saw from Smith Rowe uh, in the derby was you could see some – I hate to do this, and I know people are going to take this out of context, but – you could see similarities and more. You could see a little bit of how Jack Grealish operates when Smithrow was out on that left hand side. It wasn't just about being a winger, it was about being a wider creative player, knowing when to come in centrally, but knowing also when to stay out wide, combining with the overlapping run, being able to combine with the forwards, bringing other midfielders into play as well. So it was more of a comprehensive all around performance from a wider player. And I, and I think that's maybe something that we've missed down the left hand side for quite a while. You know, even before Sanchez, I would say so. Um, I think that could be something we look at moving forward. I think that might depend on how Pepe gets on at the club. You know, if he if he starts firing in fine form, obviously he's going to want to get more minutes. But I think you could say you could see Smithrow there. First of all, he works. So in terms of helping cover Tierney and tracking back, and that, that that's and he's he's a good presser. So there's that. Um, the fact that he can combine well the fact that he has good spatial awareness understanding when he's on and off the ball these are all things you want to see from from modern wide players who are, who are just more than touchline wingers um i think arteta wants to be more expansive than that and you see that at city as well and you saw that when he was there but you also see it since he left you know when you have foden out there on that left hand side he's more than just a touchline winger he's very much akin to somebody like Grealish as well in that same vein so I think it could work long term, um, and even if we don't keep Odegaard there, if, if we don't if we don't get a move in the summer, or extended loan or deal, whatever it might be, if he's not here in next season, there could be a, an argument to make that we could still want to bring in a creative central player and keep Smithrow wide. And people forget that Smithrow started out on 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 the left in through his youth development. He was a winger predominantly when he came through the academy. He played centrally, but he did play out on, on the left more often than not. So he's familiar with it as well. Um, so something that you could, it, it makes tactical sense to maybe look at that as an option. And also it gives Arteta options. He might not play there every time, but that's something that we've spoken about before. And I wonder how Johnny feels about that as well, is that I view Arteta as the type of manager that, and his attacking players, he wants them to be able to be utilized in multiple different deployments in different ways and maybe even different positions. And that's something you, again, you see across the top level, not just at City, but you see it at Bayern quite a bit where they, like Sané can play on either the left or the right. Gnabry can play on the left or the right. Thomas Muller yeah. can play across the entire front three, even at center forward. City have the same thing. They can have 16 different front threes and really they all work together regardless of that fact. So I wonder if maybe that plays to that fact, that he wants oh. more, more modern attacking players who can just they can, it, it, you can just utilize them in so many different ways and, and, and it gives you so many options. And I think that's a huge thing looking for. I, def- I definitely think that's a, a good point and something that I was thinking in terms of, um, you know, whether we even talk about Smith Rowe on the left, it, it, they're all interchanging. And, and this is what's encouraging because we're starting to see a little bit end game with regards to Arteta's offensive tactics, which, you know, is what I've been wanting to see for a while. Obviously, defensively, he's gained plaudits previously, but obviously in in the really poor run we had just before Christmas, there was like just a complete disillusion. We didn't know what was actually trying to be achieved anymore. And I think when you talk about um, Odegaard and Smith-Rowe, something that doesn't really get discussed or brought up enough 
for me and what makes this work is that Smith Rowe is fucking rapid. <laughs> he's really, <laughs> really fast. People like he's, yeah. he's not Smith Rowe and um Erdegaard are not the same player. Smith Rowe was roasting Doherty yesterday. Actually, absolute on toast all the time. And to the point, like, but you know, I, I was saying it yesterday on La Grove. Like, the fact is, is when you talk about um a player who is looking like he's playing at Hackney Marshes, having to go, can someone help me out here? Can someone because I'm getting skinned over and over again? It's that kind of stuff. And that was purely because not only uh, what Smith Rowe offers. Not only can he take the ball in close quarters, dazzling feet, can you know turn you in a phone box. He also has the ability to knock it in front of him and say, "I'll race you to it," and he'll do you. And obviously, with the added threat that Tierney poses on the overlap, though he's getting twisted blood, he can't handle that stuff. So I think that you know, if Erdegaard and Smith Rowe had similar pace levels, you, you couldn't play Erdegaard on the left, for instance. You can't beat anyone. He's just going to keep turning in. You know, you could argue good delivery, but it would get very stilted when it goes out to the left. Whereas Smith Rowe has the pace to be able to play on that wing, but then he offers so much more because of his excellent technical ability. I think showcased mostly, uh, most prominently, when he took that shot from about 25 yards and, and produced world-class talent. It's with the studs, little control, whack, and that, you know, it looked like for everything. Mm. It was going in the top corner, but... It was just a glimpse of someone who is really developing in to being quite a, a special, special talent for Arsenal. Yeah, I, I'm so excited about him because um, he's been called up as well now to the, the official Euro 21 squad for the summer, which is great. There was always a small hope in my heart that maybe he would do enough between now and the end of the season to get a, a full senior debut. That doesn't look like it's going to happen, but there is an incredible amount of talent now in this England side, especially young players coming through. I mean, I, I put a piece out today talking about the players that didn't make it. You've got Saka, of course, who now looks like not being in the under-23s. He's, he's a shoe-in now for obviously the, the senior England side. Foden, Trent Alexander-Arnold, Mason Mount. There's so many. Jude Bellingham as well. It looks like he's also going to be in the main squad too. And even in the under-21s, we've seen Reese Nelson dropped from that side. Callum Hudson-Odoi's in there. Mason Greenwood's in there. England just has so much young talent coming through, which is really exciting. I feel like the Germany squad 10 years ago in that same kind of vein that there is so much talent coming through in England now, which is a nice change because it used to be so boring watching England friendlies, but now there's an actual reason to tune in to see, especially when there's more Arsenal players in there, which we've also suffered with not having for quite some time, frustratingly, although I think Mainsley's inclusion in that squad might be coming to an end uh, just at the wrong time for him. before we move on to the final section of the show, which is, of course, your question. So if you've got some, be holding them ready and safe. So when we get on to the last 20 minutes or 25 minutes of the show or so, um, there is something that, I'll, that I want to discuss because I've seen the video go round. I was going to talk about if Raf, who has unfortunately had to jump off because his internet's completely gone from his whole building, he claims, <laughs> is what he says. So that's the reason why you won't hear from Raf unless he jumps on towards the end. But Drew, Harry Kane, is a a person that has become villainous, of course, amongst the Arsenal fan base. But for me, this guy just gets away with so many things in games. There was always the thing, an aerial challenge, which meant that, of course, he, like the player on top of him, would fall to the ground like Gabriel did in the home leg against them and, and really injure themselves. I don't know if you saw the video of him again with Gabriel, where the ball is firmly kicked away by Gabriel and Kane charges into the Brazilian defender with 
absolutely no intention of winning the ball whatsoever. And I understand it's not the, de the denial of a goal-scoring opportunity like we've seen where we, all the big discussion around when a player doesn't go for the ball and goes for the player. But I feel like these incidents of pure kind of... It's, it's nothing to do with football. It's nothing tactical. The only thing about it is trying and attempting to hurt the other player. What what are your kind of views around this discussion? And how do you feel that it should kind of be dealt with, I suppose, by the officials in the future? I mean, personally, I, I'm <laughs> so for me, it, it's it, it might seem harsh, but I think it's for me, it's a red. You know, the ball's nowhere near it, but it's also the it's the manner of it. You can see it's clear that he never even made an attempt to get the ball. He just happened to be fifty five seconds late. It's clear that he literally, his sole purpose was to try to take out Gabrielle. And for me, that's a problem. And what people aren't talking about is the, the, the way that he comes into Gabrielle can actually cause more serious damage than people think. You can easily get concussed when that happens. For base level, you could easily have a dislocated shoulder immediately after that. You know, you yeah. could, there's a lot of things that could have happened. Leg when you struck yeah, it, so there's anything like, he could have ended up with a considerable injury off that. Um, and again, it's because, he made no attempt to play at the ball. He was never looking at the ball. And, and still, as you could see it, he was never looking at the ball and thinking, you know what, I can maybe try to win this. And he had plenty of time to pull away from Gabriel after Gabriel passed it away in the first place. So at that, at that point, what is it? And, and people were trying to excuse it, saying, well, he's had a frustrated night. He's just clearly frustrated. It's like, well, that doesn't really matter to me. And it, <laughs> and, 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 and it shouldn't matter to anybody. And, and the thing for me is, like, I, it's so clear that certain players get certain rules. And I tweeted about this. Um, and I got more interaction than I thought. When, when I watch Harry Kane, I'm literally seeing Alan Shearer's reincarnate on the pitch. Alan Shearer did the same bullshit at week in, week out for the majority of his career, whether it was at Blackburn or Newcastle. He constantly, he was just leading with the elbow, you know, always. And just, you know, but it was clear intent. You know, it's just like things like that. And he got the same treatment. No one ever came down on him. You know, he, um, same thing, like, best English on the forward available, you know, all this kind of stuff. This is kind of the same sort of narrative that surrounds Kane, surrounded Shear, and they get the same treatment. And then the same excuses are made for both of them. So for me, I think it's clear as day. And I think it just speaks to the narrative that I think certain players and certain clubs are held to a different standard in the Premier League. So, yeah. I certainly think that, you know, as you stated there, Drew, and um, I think Matt G said it in the um, chat, it's, England. it's the fact is, is the England captain, so he's allowed to assault people. You mentioned Alan Shearer there. We all remember when he kicked Neil Lennon in the head. I think it was Neil Lennon or one of the Leicester players. No, it was Neil Lennon in the head. Yeah. I mean, it, anywhere outside of a football pitch, and, and it shouldn't be on the football pitch, it, you get arrested for it. It's an actual assault. But because you're England captain, you get to play on, and I think he scored a goal in that game as well. And the fact is, is... I do think personally, Drew. I've got to. I'm against you a little bit on the. I, I can't see how that's a red card. Personally, I think it's a late challenge and a yellow for me. I, I get what you're saying, but you know, at the end of the day, he could hurt someone. But there's loads orange. of stuff where people could yeah. hurt. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, the yeah. orange card, sure. Yeah. Orange card, exactly. Um, uh, but no, for me, I think a yellow would have done it. But a yellow, you know, for Harry Kane, it just doesn't seem to be forthcoming. He can do whatever he wants. And it's not just flagrant fouls like this. It's totting up as well, getting away with three or four fouls every game and just never getting uh, carded. But yeah, once again, I think we all, you know, we're not uh, 
you're saying anything really revolutionary here. He's England captain, so he gets an extra couple of kicks on people than everyone else. It is question time in the chat box. So if you could uh, start throwing your questions into the chat, we will try and get through as many in the next 25 minutes as possible. I know, Johnny, you might have to jump off a little bit early. That's fine. Just let me know in the chat and I'll throw you off. Not throw you off. <laughs> get out of my pub. Uh, <laughs> um, oh, don't say that word. It's been so long. <laughs> as you can tell, I went I went hat-free today because I just had to unleash. I'm going to get to your levels soon, Johnny, of just the, the hair that's coming out. Oh, yeah, they look like dreadlocks on the way there. So I'm definitely sure I'm like, <laughs> might take a while. Might take a while. Deary me. Um, Lewis Kiriaku uh, says, uh, Devil's Advocate, Drew, I'm throwing this to you, um, mainly because it's a Mill Smith Rowe question. Uh, Tom Arteta wanted a creative mid in the summer and has improved us defensively despite Partey's absence. If we've got a cam, uh, then would we be in top four as our form since Emil Smith Rowe versus Chelsea suggests? Mm, I don't think it's that simple. You know, there's too many examples in football that show that just because you get the players in doesn't mean that the form is going to be the end result. I think there's too many things that have to happen after you get the players in for you to, for us to say that we needed to finish top four. You know, we, we, we could have got the players in and our form could have been just as diabolical. And, and, and let's be honest, the reason why we had such a slow start to the season it wasn't just because we weren't creating chances. We were poor in every department. So getting that 10 doesn't, it only fixed one aspect of why we were poor. So no, I don't think we would have finished top four with the player. I think maybe we wouldn't have needed to go get Odegaard obviously in January and maybe the creativity aspect wouldn't have been as bad for as long as it was, but there are too many other issues across the pitch for us, for me to confidently say we would have been fourth. And even with a 10, I don't think we're good enough to be fourth right now in the first place. So th th that's a whole other discussion, obviously, but um, you could maybe argue that maybe we would have been top seven in theory, but again, that's, I, I don't like to speculate too much, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I think it makes sense. Go on, Johnny. I was just going to say, I, to be honest, I couldn't, I couldn't agree more with Drew there. To be fair, you, it's not as simple as you know football maths. Add this piece, and then we're already there. You know, what, the whole point is, even the people who've kind of been constantly bought into what Arteta has been selling all this way would have to have realised that we were not always kind of where we are now. It, it's been a process, and I don't think that. Even um, again, those people who, who can can see it happening, they would appreciate that you know it's taken a journey to get here, and some players needed to do some learning, and some players, quite frankly, needed to hit the door, which we've seen in January, you know, and and that's been positive. So, and I think Arteta needed to learn as well. Look, if you look at some of the squad selections um, early on, the players who he was constantly putting faith in, it was just ridiculous. And so I don't think just having Jose Moua here, for instance, would have meant that we were cracking in the top four. And I'd also, I'm not sure if we did have him, whether Emil Smith-Rowe ever would have broken through. That's the thing. Arteta, I think, found Smith-Rowe out of desperation and ultimately stumbled across something that has kind of really worked out well for him. And then now through that initial kind of genesis has, you know, driven with that and created something that you can, that fans can all start to see is starting to bear fruit now. Yeah, I agree 100%. Um, I do think there is an element of 
if Arsenal had have had, say, a natural number 10 from the start, the levels of creative kind of the drought of creativity that we experienced at the start of the season would ne- wouldn't necessarily have been as present as we saw. Um, we have one in the squad being uh, Mesut Ozil, of course, which who was omitted. Um, there are reasons to that. Maybe that will go on something as a sword that Arteta kind of died on in the first half of the season. But I think we've seen from his performances at Fenerbahce or Fenerbahce, as, as Hugh Izzy will tell me it's actually pronounced, um, <laughs> that it's, it, I don't think it would have changed too much uh, in the grand context of things. Um, Timo Pest asked an interesting question, which does lead into kind of the opposition that we play next week, Drew, asking if we if we think that we could still finish above West Ham United. Just before you answer, for context, we do play West Ham next week uh, and we are currently seven points um, behind them who are in, currently in fifth. So, if we were to say win that game, how do you feel about our chances of, of making up that ground? I mean, I think at that point, anything is possible. And again, there's something you, me and John, if I remember right, uh, spoke about. I think maybe French as well, that there's certain clubs that are ahead of us at the minute that are performing above 100%. They're overperforming, 105, 110%. And whether they regress to the mean or not is is the question that needs to be answered. But I think if you beat West Ham, I think at that point they would have lost through the last four. So you could then argue that, and again, only four points out. If we go through into the quarterfinals of the Europa League, we're going to be on good form at that point. So again, it is possible that we catch them, but the just only quickly, just mm-hmm. to interject just to tell mm-hmm. you, their remaining fixtures are quite favourable. Um, they are yeah. ourselves, then Wolves, Leicester, Newcastle, Chelsea, Burnley. Everton, Brighton, West Brom and Southampton. So they only play Chelsea, Leicester and Everton um, after us from the, yeah. the, the top ten. I, mean, I take that point, but I think this season has shown anybody that anybody can be anybody. doesn't mm-hmm. matter if it looks terrible on paper. There's so many ways to trip up. If you, West Ham could have an off day against Burnley and lose, and Burnley are probably better than people give them credit for in the first place, just as an example. So um, that's why you need to be consistent. And up to this point in the season, they have been consistent. And then we kind of really haven't overall. And now, you know, post-December, our consistency has improved. And now they might be hitting a little bit of a bump in the road. So I think it's, yeah, if, if, if our biggest thing we've missed this season is consistency. So if we find it, yeah, I think we can. It's just, it's going to depend on them as well. There's too many other variables, you know what I mean? Like it's 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 in our hands, but it's not. So yeah. um, Unfortunately, we do have to say bye to Johnny. Did you want to have some final say on that question? And yeah, then shoot off? That would be great. Yeah, just, you know, I, I am I'm pretty much in agreement with Julie there, but ultimately I do think that <clears throat> we could be in danger of thinking about West Ham in their classical sense that they will always fold. West Ham have been very good this year, you know, mm-hmm. really good. And I think they've been better than us. Obviously, the league table doesn't lie. And I don't think that, you know, they were unlucky against United at the end of the day to come away with a, with a loss there. You know, they're, they're, they're quite a resolute team. They're hard to be broken down these days. So I wouldn't bank on us finishing above West Ham. I think they um, have a pretty good start now. And I wouldn't say that we're playing necessarily particularly better than them. I think, you know, um, it will be touch and go. But ultimately, where our season um, really exists now for us is the Europa League and really progressing in that competition. It's realistically all that matters. I don't think... Anything we do in the league outside of that great result in the weekend really is going to bear much significance. The Europa is Europa League or bust for us, and we've got to go hell for leather to try and win it. Yeah. 
It's been an absolute pleasure to have you on, mate. Um, tell people where they can find you, and uh, not physically, of course, just, just your, your channel and everything else. Especially in lockdown, that'd just be inappropriate. It's mentally, anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, uh, so find me virtually. Uh, I, I, uh, I have a YouTube channel, Utabi, as you can see in the name tag there. Uh, do check it out. It's kind of, you know, um, this Arsenal discussion, obviously, and me reviewing uh, different games. So it would be great if you could come by and drop a little sub and um, join the discussion. And I also do a fatherhood podcast called the How's Your Father podcast. It's kind of funny, irreverent uh, chat about fatherhood. So if you want to leave Arsenal alone for two minutes and think about something else, then check out the How's Your Father podcast. Thanks, guys. Cheers, mate. I'll see you soon. See you later, Drew. Bye, Tom. See you, guys. Have a good one. A uh, massive thank you, of course, to... Hold on, Drew is not the host of this show. There we go. Oh, no, look. There we go. That's much, much better. The worst. That's where he belongs. <laughs> <laughs> A massive thank you to Johnny um, for uh, coming on this evening. And, and of course, Raf earlier on. We are still going to be here for another 20 minutes because, you know, me and Drew have, have a lot less full lives than everyone else, it seems. Um, so we'll be here to answer your questions or so for the next 20 minutes. Quickly before we do, just a reminder that the podcast is available um, not only on YouTube, but audio-only platforms too, with Spotify and SoundCloud and iTunes, and on iTunes specifically, there's been some very, very nice people that have left some five-star reviews. If you do enjoy the content, it would be really, really helpful to us if you could go over to iTunes and just leave a, a nice review. I mean, Drew hasn't even left one yet for me, so just do just do it before Drew does it, because I'm going to have to end up paying him, and he's, he's you know he's expensive. So if you could just drop a, a nice review, that would be very, very kind. Obviously, only five stars is, 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 is what we want. Um, <laughs> Anyway, get to the questions. Um, the danger of having drawn now is that we may only get through two of these. Um, so <laughs> uh, try and uh, get through these. Uh, I'm only taking a bit because he threatened my life earlier on today. Um, but, I threatened uh, your life like five times a week, but people shouldn't really know that. So I don't know why I said that. So Kevin says, uh, who was speaking, I think, to me earlier on, uh, I think Kevin sent me an email earlier on today. If I've got it wrong, I'm really sorry because that'd be so awkward, but I'm pretty sure Kevin did. Uh, he did indeed. He sent me a, an email um, that's from, I can't remember what the game, I think it's called Scattergrease. Uh, I don't know if you have that in the US, Drew, but it's like... Yeah, um, no, it's good. We're, we're not in the Stone Age, for Christ's sake. I know we had I'm Trump not, as president, I'm, but you have I know what categories are. It's just... <laughs> So for those that don't know, from my memory of playing this game, it's effectively saying like uh, you've got a certain amount of time, I think it's a minute or 30 seconds, and your category is uh, like something random. And for instance, Kevin, while playing this game, got a category that was things that fly. So Drew, guess what was one of the things that could fly on his 10-point card? Have a I guess. Don't even know. How many can no you idea. name? You should be able to get one. Come on, who is the mascot of our podcast? Oh, really? Cedric? Yeah. No, no, no. <laughs> yes, Cedric. Cedric was on the card, Drew. I had no, to. That was a dig. <laughs> I know. Flying yeah, yeah, yeah. fish were on the cards, <laughs> along with aeroplanes, bats, birds, butterflies, flying fish, gliders, helicopters, hot air balloons, kites, and paper planes. Um, so there you go. Uh, Arsenal should have been on there because they are high flying at the moment. Um, but in answer to Kevin's actual question, it was: Would anyone still take Sabios on a permanent transfer in the summer? Mm. You can handle that one. I'll go after you if you want. But 
Yeah, uh, my answer is no. Point. Now you go. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> my answer is no. Moving on to the second of two questions that yeah, we'll get. Just to briefly <laughs> elaborate on that, I, I think what we've seen from Sabas is basically if Sabas is going to play, he's not going to be playing as a 10, which means he's going to be playing as one of the two pivot players. To get Sabas, you're looking at probably 20 million minimum to get him in. And if we want to spend money on that position, we need to spend it on a player that upgrades upon what we've already got. Sebastian doesn't get into our team right now. So I think that gives you pretty much the answer uh, that you need right now. Um, Glenn Cook says, after the report of Alba leaving the stadium soon after the game and skipping the warm downs, will this have an effect on his inclusion on Thursday? I've done this a lot earlier, but briefly, do you want to cover that? Um, I mean, maybe. Um, depends on how Arteta wants to view it. it it's... But it's also on our OBA, you know, getting disciplined doesn't mean you have to stop doing your job. If any of us mess up at work, you know, our boss lets us know what happened and then you move on from that. You take it as a lesson and you and you progress. So I think it's more on, on OBA now than, than Arteta. I think he'll force Arteta's hand. Either he comes good and, and, and he, he has the right mentality and everything is fine or, you know, he starts throwing out multiple toys and then it makes Arteta's job easier. So we'll see. Um, like, for example, we don't know. Like Maybe he just doesn't turn up for training save tomorrow as an example if that happens then he's not he's probably not going to play in fact he might not even play for a while but if he if everything if he himself settles down and it's fine then we'll be fine he'll play i don't think we need him on thursday in the first place i think we're so comfortable against olympiacos i think he might just get rested period because we're going to need him moving forward in that competition and arguably we're going to need him in the league as well as long as things are okay on that front so yeah he might get rested by default anyway so uh, Oladapo uh, asked a question earlier on in the chat, which um, I was gutted that it was so early on and not in the question section, but I, I called him out on it because I want I wanted him to say it. And effectively, I'll read out what he said here and then I'll elaborate on it further. He says, I love Tierney just as much as the next person, but I believe that people are calling for his captaincy because he is as close to that as kind of a Vieira slash uh, Roy Keane mould that we are yearning for or necessarily which kind of player is captain, which he's talking about there is... He's effectively saying that there's kind of an obsession, I suppose, about people that want that classic British um, or Irish, in the, in the case of Keane, um, captain that's a no-nonsense, tough tackling, leader of men, um, kind of in front of an army or a battalion of men shouting freedom at the top of their lungs is the type of captain that people want. Um, <laughs> do you think there's an obsession around that kind of concept of yeah. the captain one that maybe uh, you don't necessarily need? 100%. We've, we've talked about it on this podcast before, I think, and, and mm. I think everybody's spoken about it for a while. Everyone, is just, everyone has this notion that that captains have to have like a bullhorn ready and just screaming at the top of their lungs for 90 minutes. And, and yeah, that's one way to be a captain, but there are multiple ways to be a captain. You know, you, you still should, you know, it's about taking responsibility, taking ownership and keeping yourself and your teammates accountable. It is about leadership, but leadership can be found in different ways. So yeah, I do think it does play a role. I think the fact that people do look at him and, and see maybe some samples of a bygone era about Tierney's game in certain aspects, which is people mention the fact that he tucks in his shirt. You know that these like that's what I mean. <laughs> Give like, him the armband. <laughs> exactly. That's what I'm talking about. Like his, his shorts are like on his belly button and it's tucked in. It's like you know what I mean? It's like people look at that and think, you know, he's got what it takes because that's what they remember as a captain to be. There's nothing necessarily wrong with that. But it doesn't mean that's what your captain has to look like. And I do appreciate that he does have leadership qualities, but just because he embodies what some people might miss about football doesn't make him automatically the best man for the job, even though I think he would be one of the candidates. So, Yeah. 
Uh, how are, says so question for you guys. Do you rate okay uh, your Koslu, uh, the Turkish defensive midfielder at West Brom, who they brought in, I think it's from Celta Vigo, if I'm right. Um, he looks quality and very talented. A cheaper option in the summer. The reason why I've highlighted this question, how is because I really want to kind of get forth the point that Arsenal need to, this summer, it's not for me about cheap deals. It's not about bargains. It's not about looking for a hidden gem. This summer for me is about signing a player that is going to go straight into the team and upgrades upon what we've already got. I'm well aware that the, the order and a hidden gem could effectively do that. A hidden gem could be that player, just like West Ham did with a Kufau or a Suchek. It is very difficult to identify those players and then for those players to transition immediately into the first team and have an immediate impact. But for me, Arsenal need to be spending a significant amount of money, which I know is tricky in a pandemic, but hopefully through player sales and maybe further investment from the owner, which has happened in previous two windows, we could see it happen. And if it does, we need to be signing players that are going to impact things straight away. We need to be looking at players, in my view, between kind of the ages of 24 to 27, 28, that are going to come straight into the team and have an immediate impact and are in or approaching their prime. Drew... I saw some facial expressions that might not necessarily mean you agree with me, but tell me your views on that con- concept, I suppose. I think how this season ends is going to dictate the kind of business we can do. And I think mm. so. Uh, you could argue that both avenues have merit, but again, I think it's just going to look if we go and win Europa League and get Champions League, even if we finish, it doesn't, at that point, it doesn't matter that we might finish eighth or ninth because we're in Champions League and Champions League is one of the primary ways you bring in better players. And 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 I stand by the fact that the only reason why we got Thomas Partey in is because we still offered some semblance of Europe. But it, it, it mattered that he wanted to come to the club, for sure. But I, I don't. if we didn't have Europe, I don't know if he would be here right now. And I think that's kind of the question that we have to ask. So if we don't win Europa League and we don't get Europe through the league, and we say we do only climb up to eighth and that's where, where it ends, that's going to affect a lot of things. It's going to affect the budget. It's going to affect revenue. It's going to affect our attractability to for other players who might look at another option because that option has Europe and then we're no longer maybe say their first choice. So I think how the lay of the land plays out come the summer is going to dictate the kind of business we can do. I think if we're in a position to bring in those players that you want and that you keep writing about, I think we should. But I don't know if we will. No, like, you keep writing about them. Stop no, 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 no. I'm <laughs> saying you should keep writing about it because there's, there's so many names that you're bringing up that a lot of people won't have when we're paying attention to. Mm. So that's why I want you to keep doing it because there's a, I think there's a lot of value in the, in the market for good players that don't have to be the names that maybe the fans want, but they are players that can come in and make us better. But if we can get them, it's going to depend on a lot of factors beyond that we're a bigger club. So I think, yeah, again, I think how the season ends depends on who we're going to be able to bring in. And then when we know what we have to work with, then I think the picture becomes clear. Speaking of that article, I have just left a link in the description uh, <laughs> and in the chat box where you can go and read that. Uh, five realistic uh, Thomas Partey uh, partners uh, for him. Some might say that some of them on this specific list aren't as realistic uh, as some of the other ones, but I do try to explain why I think some of them are achievable based upon their club circumstances uh, and their circumstances specifically as well. But there are some you might go, mm, I'm not so sure about that, but it's the point about reading it and identifying the style of player that I think we need to be looking for in addition to the profile 
of player that we need to look at. So Oladapo, your question about any left-sided midfielders, go have a read of that list and hopefully that'll answer your question. Um, Vincenzo says, what is the future for Willock next season? I mean, Drew, in my view, it's to sell him in the summer. So uh, are you in agreement with that? I think we've covered that pretty darn well. (laughs) Yeah, move on. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, let's scroll up and see if I missed any earlier on. A, a similar question, I suppose. A sedance says, does uh, Maitland-Niles, I now call Maitland-Niles until he starts putting on good performances for Arsenal, <laughs> still have a future at Arsenal? How is he doing at West Brom? I don't I don't, I don't think he does. Um, I think maybe he could because I think he could bring a lot that we might crave in a certain position, but I, I think he doesn't have a future because maybe he – Say he wants to play in the midfield, but he's not going to be able to. Maybe, maybe it could be that simple. That's that's why he won't have a future. But um, I, I look at how we've been performing um, since since uh, since Boxing Day, really, um, without players like Maitland Niles and without players like Ganduzi, and you could argue that we don't really need them. You know, our season's gone on just fine without them. So if we were to sell Maitland Niles, that we shouldn't feel like we're worse for wear. Um, you always want to focus on, on, on the squad, obviously, but if you sell Maitland Niles and bring in a, a different squad option that's better than he is, then you don't miss him, do you? Um, I think it's just a matter of the fact that he, he's come through the academy, so you kind of you hope he makes that at the club. But uh, similar to, to players like Reese Nelson and, and, and Andy and Ketty, I think that they should be viewed as players you can sell on for, for straight profit because they came through the ranks. And, and you look to, 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 like you talked about, you look to bring in players that immediately are better, that, that can do more than Milan Niles can, that are more consistent, that are able to, to tick the boxes where you need reinforcements and, and, and we're the better for it. So. Yep. Um, let's scroll up a little bit more. I'll scroll down and see if anyone has just joined. In fact, Chris Grewell has just joined. Says, uh, what are your thoughts of losing the likes of Saka and Smith Rowe, given football is a business a la Liverpool selling Suarez? Continue. Do you think there is a threat to us losing the likes of Saka and Smith Rowe? I, 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 I think there's I, more of a threat to lose a player like Martinelli than there is over those two. Considering I think in, et cetera. I think it'll also depend on where the club is in three years' time. If we're still languishing between, say, six and tenth, we have no chance of winning the league. We we aren't getting Champions League, and a big club comes in for Saka. I, I think he would be doing himself a disservice if he didn't want to leave. And you can also speak to the fact that maybe you could laud the fact that he might be loyal to the club because he holds the club in, in such high regard because he's coming through because he's a lifelong supporter and. and you take that, but it's harder for players to want to stay if they're if they truly want to go on and, and win something in their career. It's harder to convince them to stay if they aren't getting that. And if he did end up leaving, I wouldn't fault him for it. You know, I think I always like to make sure I, I don't get too ahead of myself in terms of what players can be. But Saka can be a, 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 an absolute world class player. You could argue that he's already on that track right now, and it won't be long before he is, in theory, depending on who you talk to. So. If he had the chance to go to play for someone like the Bayern Munich of the world, then uh, I'm I'm okay with it because then what you do is you look you take the big fee we would get from him and then you say we move on we take that money we invest it properly and then we look to keep building the club and sometimes it might take one of those big signings you don't want to see leave to help you move forward and that's exactly what we did. No one wanted to lose Suarez or continue at Liverpool. But they did, and now look what they've done with that money. Look at where they got to without them. So if that ended up being what happened with Saka, it would suck initially, but I'd be fine with it as long as we made the most of it. I would absolutely hate it if we didn't make the most of it and then 
we stagnated or it got worse post that move, then I would absolutely lament it for probably for the rest of my life. So it depends. Like, yeah, you know, lots of lots, lots of shades of gray, but I don't think we'll be able to keep on to all our good players because I don't think we're a club that can. I don't think loyalty is enough in football anymore. I think a lot of young players want to go on and have brilliant careers and they want to go win things. And if we're not providing that eventually, I think they're just going to leave and, and we have to come to terms with that. Final uh, question of the podcast talks about a player that we haven't actually touched upon much today, but he did create the pass which set up uh, Lacazette to earn the penalty. And what a pass it was. Um, Yo-Yo says, Pepe is approaching his prime. Why can't he be Aubameyang's successor, having been used for his area abilities in the past by Arteta and can play in different areas of the pitch? Uh, this is an interesting question. Not one I, want to, I wanted to disregard just by simply saying, Pepe's not a striker, what we're we talking about. Um, because I have thought about Pepe centrally. I feel that if Pepe's played centrally, it needs to be alongside someone rather than as an out-and-out striker, someone that he can feed off of, that can link up with, someone that he can play close to as kind of a second striker. A little bit like how Lacazette has played off of Bamiang in the past, just not very successfully. Um, but I think Pepe's at his best, weirdly, when he's nearest goal. I think that despite his poor finishing in some of the previous games we've seen, he is one of the better finishers in the team and has shown that with some of the strikes that he's made this season. I'm not sure if he's the guy to succeed a Bamiang necessarily, but I do think that there is scope for him to have more of a central uh, potential in the team. Drew, what do you make of, of Pepe? First of all, in, ter- in generally where you see him and the question specifically. I mean, I still, I still rate him. Um, it's unfortunate that he's not come on as well as you had hoped, given how much we paid for him, uh, even though we got completely fleeced. The fact is we invested that much money, so you want a bigger return than he's given. But I still think he does show in glimpses what he can do. It's just, again, it's our biggest Achilles heel on so many levels is consistency, right? So if he can find consistency... I think he'll come good. Uh, whether if his future would be in the middle or not, I don't know, but it's actually a fair question because you could look at a lot of points in his game. You could see maybe he could work as, as, as a center forward, but maybe not as a kind of center forward we would need in our tennis system. So that might, that might require some tactical adjustments to really make it work and sound that out. But um, just a part of his game, like he, he loves to, he, he can play off the shoulder. He's very good on the ball. He can hold the play up if he needs to, you know, he's, um, he's got that quick first step. He can get center backs in trouble. Like, there's a lot to his game that you would like as a center forward, I think. But um, mm-hmm. it, rotating players when they hit their prime and trying to just shift their entire trajectory, it's it's difficult. Um, so I don't know if if maybe that ship has sailed. But um, you like I, I you could look at him as like a second striker, as like a Matias Kuna as an example, who can also play on the wings. You know, but predominantly he's better through the middle and he is better in a more forward role in combination with it with the bigger center forward like Piatek. So um just as using Hart as an example. So um yeah I can maybe see it but I just don't think it'll happen. But it's it's a fair yeah. question to ask. it's a good one. Thanks, Yo-Yo. Yeah, I think it is a fair question for sure. Um that, that does conclude today's podcast. It's been a really, really good one, um, talking about the North London derby and the successes of it, looking a little bit ahead, looking at individual players, the controversies of, of the penalty and Aubameyang's uh, mission. Um, just before we wrap up, if you are watching live, you've got a job to do um, because you are going to go straight from here and you're going to go and watch 
the Gooners pod, which is currently live with Mike and Andy and Owen, of course, all big fans of the show. And when you do go over there to watch them, please make sure you leave a comment letting them know that we sent you uh, over there. Um, and before you do that, please make sure you drop a like on today's video and subscribe to the channel. And of course, give my three fantastic guests from today's show a follow on Twitter. You can find Drew at Logic Larry. You can find Johnny at I Johnny Cochran, and you can find Raf, who did disappear but is in the chat box, I believe, um, at Messy Music. It's okay, we'll, we'll pick it up on WhatsApp later. It's like what happened? Of <laughs> just take the mic out of him. That's all. That's all we do in that chat. It's just taking the mic out of each other. And you see French and John getting into heated debates about some very political stuff. Um, <laughs> deary, deary me. Um, speaking of which, I will be back with John uh, next week. We're planning on because next week is the week without any European football and without any midweek games. Uh, probably the best time to do the next LTA Let's Talk Arsenal podcast where we talk a little bit more uh, about social side of things with Arsenal, social media, how things have reacted. We're going to talk a little bit about celebrating uh, opposition injuries uh, and the perception of that a little bit because that's something that's come up in the news. Might have different views to you. I think it's something that gets slightly blown out of proportion uh, in, in a way in comparison to some more concerning things that happen uh, across social media. Um, but it's going to be a good chat, I think, uh, as it always is with John. Um, but thank you to my fantastic co-host, right-hand man, Drew. Much appreciate your time, mate. I know I'll give you some stick, but uh, I love you, and there's only one reason to have you on here, because you're, you're good with what you know. So Yeah, no, it's always good to be here with, with you guys. So thanks for having me, as oh, always. Nice. Thank you. That's yeah, I know. I don't know what's happening, but also thanks to the chat. You guys, you guys in the chat do an amazing job. Even even when we get frustrated with you and, and you say things that make me roll my eyes, which is probably about once an episode. <laughs> I, I, I appreciate the fact that you you're all here every time and, and you're participating and you want to be involved in the debate. And I really appreciate that. So we, we thank you for that too. So yeah, good to be here as always. Props to people as well. Uh, in the chat box and, and everyone who watches back and, and listens to these because I know that one of the things that we struggle with across Arsenal is is stubbornness and not yeah. changing minds. I, me and Drew are both guilty of that at times. We will admit to that. Um, there's a fantastic comment here from Neil Cooper who just says, Tom, I'm finally coming around to admitting we are improving. I think the quality of players we have got in the past two windows are much, much better than what came before. And it's, it's stuff like that. And while we continue to try and be as positive as possible and, and try to think level-headedly that we see comments like that, um, even when I disregard Zamir's comments for the entire podcast. Sorry, Zamir. <laughs> I just didn't see them. I just didn't see them, mate. Uh, thank you so much, everyone in the chat box. You've been absolutely brilliant. We've got the likes of Yo-Yo, Kevin, Zamir, Obi, um we've got mikey tebow uh pm1 on twitch because we're streaming on twitch as well um tried to twitch no option to like oh i don't know i don't use twitch i just stream on it that's, that's what i use it for but thank you everyone that tuned in today matt g uh thank you ever so much and of course we can laugh at spurs because it's always great when we beat them but i hope you've enjoyed it please drop a like on today's video please if you have just a spare two minutes go over to itunes and leave a five-star written review we would really, really appreciate it. Uh, give all the guys a follow and ourselves at the Goon Talk TV. I'll be back tomorrow at 5 p.m. with Clive from the Arsenal Vision podcast, which is going to be a really, really good chat. Um, and as I said, if you're watching live, please go over now to the Gunners pods and listen to some more Arsenal content uh, with Mike, Andy and Owen. This is always a laugh for those guys. And they will be back with John uh, in the international break for a, a, a quiz during the interlow, which I'm going to try and host. I'm going to put one together on the channel. Uh, but we'll see you again tomorrow, 5 p.m. UK time. It's been an absolute pleasure to speak to you as always. And as always, up the Arsenal.
It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates are around and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.